0: to make it fun of me. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to my lovely podcast today. Um, I am here with my guess we're close friends at this point it's been a couple of years uh my friend david matthew freeman um he is a uh, i guess not really an author now you had your first book published which is really awesome i'm gonna give yeah. you
1: a for that that's actually really great I'm officially an author you're officially
0: an author but you've been writing before and um you are a long island native and um unfortunately i know but um yeah i wanted to bring you on to just kind of talk through some things and talk about your book and get to know you a little more and sort of fans to know who you are and um talk about some of our shenanigans we get ourselves into yeah my first question for
1: you doc oh here we go is the intro music final can we can we workshop it's gonna be
0: workshop i liked something that was like i'm gonna say basic but i mean like Mellow tone, but okay.
1: it, it can change. It can change. I'm not it's saying. Like it's a, a, I feel like it's a setup to like a hemorrhoid cream commercial. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I don't know wrong, where you found but, that you Well,
0: see. I just thought it sounded great. I was like, okay, well, whatever. But it, yes, it's it could be workshop. It's just stuff that I'm doing for now. <laughs> I, would, I would change it as time goes on. If I get more listeners, subscribers, then you know we can go to a whole different
1: level. Maybe hemorrhoids but, cream will sponsor this I mean. I wouldn't be against it if
0: they could do that. So anyway, we'll see how that happens. Um anyway, how are you? How's uh, your summer going so far in New York? Are you enjoying you just moved to a new apartment, congratulations? New apartment, yeah. That's awesome. Over in Greenpoint, right? In Greenpoint. Nice. That's awesome. How are you enjoying it? It's a change.
1: Yeah, it's a change. I moved from Williamsburg and the apartment I was in was just I mean, you've been there, it's just the best location. It was, yeah. You it can't beat was. that location. And yeah. to prove my point, because I've been saying this for two years, that it's the best location in the city. <laughs> Since I had moved in, they have opened up a Chanel store, a Glossier store, wow. Hermes, damn Chanel. Just it's like it. out of control. It's this like, block. It's like yeah. the place to
0: go now. Like, well, it's good.
1: It's, on, it's right on Bedford. Yeah, You're right next to the L stop.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's just, it's really easy to get everywhere. You can just take the L across town. You can go deeper into Brooklyn to the clubs True. and it's become this like small hub of Brooklyn in a lot of ways that mm. other parts of Brooklyn never really were because it was always more residential. You know, Fort yeah. Greene, Clinton Hill like are beautiful areas, yeah. but they don't have that direct access to the vein of Manhattan like the L line does when it's running. I Just went to run because it's not always. It's a lot better than it was, but yeah, it's not always running. But no, summer's been good. Um, Great. Just got out of something. I guess. I guess I was never really in it. Oh, the summer, summer of love. Is that what I call it? No, summer of uh, summer of poor choices by Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, those
0: always lead down a predictive path of uh, outcome. Sometimes.
1: Yeah, I think I just try to do too much. Too much for people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say that, but I'll let yeah. you say it instead. Of,
0: uh... Well, you know,
1: I, I I get caught in this trap of relationships where I just want the person to be the best that they can be, and I want to mm-hmm. I want to support them and provide them with the tools and the I guess attention and the validation needed to become that. Because mm-hmm. I feel like sure, I feel yeah. like a lot of the girls I've I've been with. Or data don't have a lot of self esteem or they have self doubt. Would you call that like a pattern? Or like. Um, or are you just try to be
0: someone's savior all the time?
1: I don't really think it's about being a savior. I think it's just trying to be there for people. Hmm. And okay. I have to realize in my own way what I guess is appropriate to give because I don't mind, you know, doing. And giving to someone i care about its you know it's always been i think something that i've championed in my life when i really do care about someone i'm always there for them and i try really hard to do the best i can to show up right Mm -hmm. but there comes a point where you have to reconcile what am i giving why am i giving and do i feel good giving this amount right because I like to say people are an investment because they are an investment, right? You invest time and energy, especially with like a partner. Right. But the thing is, it's like you're not investing in a person for residual income. There's no real return on your investment. You can't really look at it like that. It's kind of like it's going to sound not great, but it's kind of like giving to like a charity or a nonprofit. <laughs> okay. You're you're doing it because you think it's the right thing.
0: Well, it's like volunteering. People volunteer because yeah. they want to, f- they say they're helping other people, which I think people do help other people, but selfishly yeah. you're doing it because you want to make yourself look better sometimes.
1: Well, sometimes, yeah, but it's also, it's just, it's good to see an organization you believe in do well. Oh, 100%. Right? And so that's yeah. how I have always kind of looked at relationships. Um,
0: like the Toothless and Homeless Foundation. Wait, no, that's that? not
1: right. Toothless homeless, homeless, not toothless. Sorry, it's my
0: Ross- They always get it wrong. And toothless it's and like Homeless it. Foundation?
1: But, but no, it's... Are you homeless? homeless? Yes. Homeless, not toothless. Do you have teeth? You can't join. Toothless and Homeless. Yeah, whatever. I know Come true. back when you smoke more crack. <laughs> and use teeth. Dorit's gonna kill me.
0: No, it's it's a great foundation. You do good work, but the name is not
1: Jeez. the best.
0: Sorry, but go on. No,
1: it's just... Uh, but no, that's. I mean, that's really it. And I, it was interesting because the... The last person that I was involved with, I mentioned that I had invested time and energy mm-hmm. into her and she took this as like a really negative thing. Like, oh, like I knew you wanted something in return. Like you want a return on your investment. That's why you've been spending so much time with me. She
0: used those words.
1: Yeah. She's like, I knew this. So it was like, I had a, I had a feeling and I was mm. trying to explain to her like, that's not why I'm doing this. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't want anything out of this. You know, I just am doing because this seems like this is the correct non-profit to to build up at this point, right? Yeah. And it's frustrating because you don't really always understand what's going through someone else's mind, right? Especially when you're trying. The intention is is good. Yeah. And if they just don't see that, that's when it's time to just kind of cut it because you're just on different pages. And if if that person doesn't want to be on the same Mm page then there's just there's no reason to continue which is disappointing you know yeah but that sucks i i you know i I think it's always hard because i
0: like you said it's my past relationships i can write a book about those but i think yeah it does come down to either how much you are willing to put up with and also how much of your self-worth you're willing to sacrifice to try to make something work and i think we sometimes have an issue or as people understand that balance. I think when I got with, well, now that I'm with John, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a more healthier balance of give and take. Mm -hmm. And even though we're technically long distance, but I think, I think we do a great job of making it work, but also it's that level of communication and really understanding one another and really trying to really be on each other's levels, but not to a point of like, I hate to say, like, fakeness, but, like, because I feel like some people are like, oh, babe, yeah, I'll do whatever makes you happy. I'll do whatever the case is. But it's like, well, what do you want to do? Like, yeah. you're it's you you're in a relationship together. Like, let's both find something for both of us to do, you yeah. know? And I think sometimes, you know, people have a hard time with that. And, you know, it's always hard to see that, especially with some of my friends. And I'm just like, I always wonder when I see some of my friends together and I'm like, Hmm. And then I see some friends together who are doing amazingly well. And I'm like, that level of communication, I see that. And this has been working for you guys for the past so and so years. And I'm like, that's great and that's healthy. But I think sometimes we don't know what it means to be in a healthy relationship. And so either you see it or you just are like, I'm done. I I can't keep doing it to myself. I can't keep staying up at night being like, oh, like, what am I going to do? You know, that's never a good thing. No one wants to be that person. No one wants to be a burden and no one wants to ever feel like they're stuck somewhere either.
1: Yeah. You know, but okay. that it's yeah.
0: hard. That's hard
1: for me. I think this last one was just so difficult because it had started off so incredible, you know, mm-hmm. to the point where I really was convinced that, you know, this might be someone that's in my life for quite a while. Right. And when you start off on a note like that, it's like you're chasing a high almost. Yep. Right. You want to get back to that place. Yeah. But the reality was that the person I had originally met and shared those experiences with was no longer the person that was before me. Mm-hmm. You know, months later, he yeah. was a completely different person with completely different morals and values. How yeah. that happened, I have no idea, and mm-hmm. it's not really any of my business. No, you know? no, no. But it's just we were very much in sync, and then we suddenly were not in sync, mm-hmm. and it just sucks because it's it's almost like because my grandma has horrible dementia
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so i see my grandma and she looks like my grandma but that's not my grandma yeah that's something else and so it's it's very much a mind game because you see this person you've had these incredible experiences with you know like ignites that i will remember for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and like jokes that i still i know will be laughing about in 20 years Yeah. But that's not the person that I had those experiences and shared those memories with. And so it's mm. very confusing. Right? Yeah, it is. It's so tough. it's – and the thing is, like, we're very complex creatures. We, I mean, I've met people that literally just want to serve and be, like, a servant to people. That brings them joy. I don't get it. Damn. But if that's yeah. what they like, who are we to, to judge or decide, you know? That's very true. You know, very I true. I was talking to someone like years ago who's really into feet.
0: That is a huge fetish. Though. And if nice. I just
1: sent a picture of my foot, it was like it was like I had taken them out to Carbone. <laughs> and it was, it was so strange. But it was like... Did you wear like open-toe shoes around oh, yeah. them and flip-flops oh, yeah. and everything? And oh, they loved yeah. it. And it was... Okay. And it's just funny to me because it's so benign in my mind right like that's something you think about yeah yeah but you know like a great valentine's day gift to that person would probably be like giving them socks you wore around the house for a month which is insane to most people but to <laughs> them that's a thoughtful gesture so it's like guys in jock straps i don't get that you know i mean that's the thing is that we don't really un- you can't really understand, <laughs> you understand people it. yeah if yeah. you're not willing to try and make sense of it to some extent for your partner's sake then it's probably not gonna work out or that's the other thing is like <laughs> It's true. Are you willing to try and immerse yourself in in your partner's perception of life? Because everyone has very different experiences. It's very true. You Mm. know? So, you know, it just comes down to it. Now, I was doing that a lot with this last person, and they just, you know, were saying they're too busy, this and that. And to their, to be fair, they were very busy. I'm not, you know, I don't want to, like, I'm not knocking them. You know, I still respect and care about that person quite a bit of course but the fact is there comes a point where you just realize like this just is no longer working for me yep what we've what we've come to is no longer bringing me happiness it's stressing me it's upsetting me yeah and i just tough. need this person i need them gone you know and yeah. i've been a lot happier good since that's i good. Have not had contact with this person yeah. and and
0: that's what you need for your journey. And you yeah, know.
1: and that's, that's the thing. True. That's you know that's where it comes down to. It's, it is important to be a little selfish sometimes, of course. But what it's not important. You know, this person was pretty much saying the same thing as that. But you still have to maintain social courtesies, hmm. right? I think some people think, oh, well, this is what I want. This empowers me, and they completely disregard just the rules of society you can't just vanish off the map that's not how it works anymore you can tell people hey i'm not doing well i want to be mia for a few weeks that's fine but if you don't say that you just disappear you know it's a selfish thing to do and it's selfish in a way that's hurting other people that care about you so it's i don't know because i had a friend in college that did this like one of my closest friends in college just Mm -hmm. disappeared off the map i thought he was dead
0: yeah, years. you were telling me. Yeah,
1: those. I was convinced. Didn't he go of... to another
0: country or something? Or...
1: Yeah, because he went to, he was from Chile. He was Chilean and Bolivian. And I mean, no one had heard from him. Like every yeah. close friend that I had talked to, no one had heard from him. And I was too nervous to call the parents to confirm the fact that he was dead because there were go- there was a whole uprising there, there was a whole revolution. They were killing Jeez. journalists. He was a photojournalist. He always had a camera on him. Yeah. I was just convinced this dude is dead. And I made peace with it until I found out that he wasn't dead. He was just chilling out with some people. And, and I, I think he wow. just has an undiagnosed situation at this point. Yeah, from how yeah. like We talked very briefly. Yeah. And it's just, it's upsetting. But, you know, at the same time, knowing that that person is alive, knowing that that person I know I choose no longer to talk about them or think about them. Mm-hmm. It was very freeing in a lot of ways because that would crop up every now and then and, you know, yeah. rattle me, upset me. But that's just part of our story, right? Yeah. That's just who we are and what we are. And then you'll probably write a book about it later. I have him as a character right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know where I want to go with it, but. They'll come to you. Yeah, it's just, but it's very bizarre to just have a friend that you've seen every day for close to two three years uh-huh. just disappear
0: yeah know exactly That's like, it's
1: quite weird yeah so
0: yeah well i'm wishing you nothing but the best we're all wishing you the best i'm sure you're a young attractive strapping jewish boy so you'll find love you'll be fine
1: i am talking to someone i am quite fond of right now good i have we haven't met yet Okay. But the way there's that a lot works. of text the way this
0: world works today. So that's yeah. That's
1: still a positive. So that's a good thing. That's... I'm seeing her. Yeah, I'm seeing her Friday. Nice. So we'll see what happens. I'm I'm trying not to have expectations. But... Don't
0: just go in and have a good time and just get to know each other and talk and
1: be basic. I tell people it's okay
0: to be basic. Look where it's got Taylor Swift. All right, Swifties don't
1: come out. I wouldn't me. say she's basic um, in any extent. I think she's like.
0: I'm saying the basicness of what she's like a she closet does. emo girl that dresses. You know, in I like thought the gowns. same exact Bullshit. thing. Of course,
1: all she does is like. I thought the same exact She's very thing. negative most of the time. I wouldn't say she's negative. I think her, she's, her she Her songs uses, are a beat, Well, she
0: uses it about her relationships. And I think that's amazing that she does that. And I just hope she finds love one day. That's all I'm going to leave with that. Swifties don't come after me. I want Taylor Swift to find love. And she will after she makes billions of dollars and stabilizes our economy and, you know sells all shows around I think the she's
1: world. already found love. I think she's uh, found love. and is she found love and
0: music uh, and what she does. She's found I mean, love
1: and thrown it away, in my opinion. I think uh, she just, she doesn't know how to settle. Yeah. You're always going to settle to some extent. There's nothing, you know what I mean? There's that line in uh, Richard Linklater's movie Boyhood, mm-hmm. where uh, I think it's Patricia Arquette, just screams this is it yeah you're like this is it this is life this is the whole thing it's not that exciting it's very true and i think you know despite taylor swift's i think billions at this point you know millions of fans the most number one albums of any woman record like woman recording artist tied with drake for most number one albums i think and it's like yeah at the end of the day she's just a person who you know wants someone to sit down and you know, watch a movie with or just chill out with. I can see that. And I think, you know, she's entangled in something that is very difficult. something that we could never really fully understand. Oh God. I don't
0: want to know. And it's like,
1: how can you meet a normal person or meet someone that's accepting of that complete infiltration of lifestyle that is going to remain normal after that massive life change? It's just, it's a lot of variables and I feel bad for her. I do think she, she seems like a very sweet person in certain respects, and she's a very t- obviously a very talented recording yeah, artist. She's one of my favorite. I will say she's one of my favorite lyricists. Um, she's a great lyricist. Yeah, but you know the reality is like she has to recognize that it's not going to be perfect because of her life situation. Her success is in a lot of ways going to be the failure of a normal relationship. And she has to come to grips and terms with that, you know. Just because she has all the shiny toys and the houses and the money doesn't, it makes it harder to find a partner. It's lonelier at the top. So, No, we're rooting for you, Tay Tay.
0: (laughs) We're rooting for you. Um, (laughs) On to our next subject. Um, How are you feeling about this current, you know, writer strike, actors? Well, writers and actors, because as a writer, I know it's hard. And me being in the industry or at one point being in an industry, it's it's hard to see. I mean, how has this maybe affected some people you know? Because It's you affected have, me. Yeah, let's say you were I, my are still a screenwriter, yeah. And so the yeah, script is dead. How do you think this could be resolved? It's not gonna get resolved. You don't think it's gonna get resolved? No. Then? Do you think the writers are being crazy for what they're asking for, no. or do you think the studios are just being assholes?
1: I think it's neither. Really? I think do tell. A big problem no one wants to talk about is that when cable television died and when the box office essentially became pushed aside by streaming, Mm -hmm. right, these are two things that happened. We lost cable and we lost a lot of the box office revenue. Um, Those financial models were pushing and aiding a lot of the wealth distribution in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Right. You had billions of dollars coming in on television. I worked in video investment for Mm -hmm. about a year Mm -hmm. and I was on, I think the state farm account and you know, they were spending tens of million dollars a quarter just for advertising on television. And that's a known brand. I mean, you had hundreds of brands doing this yeah, and a lot of that money would go to the writers and the creators and the actors. Right? Yeah. That was a whole pool of money right. that was funneling in that, you know, for syndication would make writers and producers very, very wealthy, yeah. right? The wealth generated to create the friends megastars that we know came from cable advertising revenue, It's true. right? No mm. one really wants to talk about this commercials. As much as we don't like them really helped fuel and compensate people. Now, the whole thing with the streamers is, you know, this also took away from the box office. Hmm. You don't have movies anymore like the Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity right. or even the Gallows, right? Which was shot for $100,000. Didn't do great in the ratings, but it still made $10 million. That's right. an incredible return on $100,000, right? Correct. You have a lot of trouble getting people into the theaters now because of the streaming model. And now on top of that, you have a lot of short form content that's free, like Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Yeah. Right. And so there's a lot of things going on. But a big problem that took a massive amount of resources away was you know the severing of the box office essentially in half and the removal of cable TV. Very few people go on cable and very few advertisers want to use cable now. Cable was always the golden boy to launch a campaign. You want global yeah. awareness or you want domestic awareness for a new product, you launch a cable TV campaign. That's so true because I don't think anyone your generation and probably
0: not even my generation, I mean, I might be the only person actually pays for cable. I don't think anyone actually owns a cable box. I don't know, know anyone.
1: I, know yeah. I don't know a single person. But back in I the day, know,
0: everyone had a cable box. You paid it and that was it and you could yeah. watch all your shows. It's like, yeah.
1: And it's man. a problem because well, what would happen is you could make more money based on how good shows did, right? So, like yeah. when, when I was working for OMD, uh, when the you know, Big Bang reruns mm-hmm. were the hottest thing, oh, yeah. they were the most expensive. Not the new episodes, the reruns, the old, like the old the reruns, albums. for whatever reason, were the best. And people would pay a lot of money to right. advertise those slots, right? Right. And, you know, the value of those slots would float around based on the Nielsen ratings. Well that's now, awesome. and then you, and you knew how well you were doing, right? Of you course. could see the ratings, yeah, right? Yeah. And so it, it fueled this competition of people being better writers, directors, actors, like there was a, there was an element of competition that's very healthy, but now with the streamers, they guard all their data. No one has any idea how many viewers they have, where they're ranked. What their numbers are, what's the what's the watch time? Mm-hmm. Because they don't, because the streamers want to guard that data. Yeah. I think that should be illegal. I think yeah. they should have to make that public. Because, well, they
0: should. Yeah, I maybe mean, you're paying for. Well, they don't want to because could, that's
1: but... bad business, right? They don't want to give away right. what's doing well because then that gives an edge to the competition, right? But that's a problem because mm-hmm. it's it's screwing things up, right? In in a lot of ways, it's hurting a lot more than it's helping. Right, but now when you only have people paying 15 20 bucks a month for all this content, true. It doesn't where's the where's the money coming from? There's well, no I yeah, yeah. People, you know, listen, I don't do I think the studios are fairly compensating writers, directors and actors? Absolutely not. No. Not at all. By by no means are they. No. But I also have to play devil's advocate to the point that it's like they are not making as much money as people think. There's not no, as much only, money to share right. without those yeah. models. Yeah. And so, It's more like, of a
0: forecasting thing. I know a lot of times it's forecasting. At least when I worked, there, it was mostly like forecasting and certain data. They would try to figure out what's the best way to forecast a budget for a show. And, and like you said, talk about advertising. And then it's like it, it could fail and still be a horrible show but then you spend so much money producing it and production value has gone way up than what it's cost but i don't yeah. agree with the whole ai thing i think that's kind of fucked up in a way i understand it's it's an end to a means but it's you can't replace people like oh yeah you can. You, like well you can't but oh, i mean you... they,
1: they can and they will that is their wet <sighs> dream it's so weird who was it the who wrote slouching towards bethlehem what's her name i don't remember the husband of that author Mm -hmm. wrote a piece that Hollywood's oldest blood sport is beating up on screenwriters. No Mm -hmm. one really respects screenwriters because everyone believes, well, Mm -hmm. everyone believes oh, if I watch a movie or a TV show, surely I can write that. Mm. Which is interesting to me because I've been writing screenplays for 12 years. Yeah. And I just started writing novels and I've had so many people come up to me with TV ideas and film ideas and guess how many people have come up to me with a novel idea when they find out I'm a novelist? One. Zero. Not a really? single person. That's where most has of the movies had, and TV
0: shows come from are books. But no
1: one has ever had the gall to think, oh, I can write a novel. It's the same thing, it's the same story, if not more difficult, because the screenplay yeah. format is a fucking <sighs> abomination. Very true. It's disgusting, it's grotesque to look at, yeah. it is not pretty. It's a sore sight for the eyes. It's just blocky and gross. And, you know, to write good poetry, to write good prose, it needs to look good on the page. And it's incredible to me that so many people now, hundreds of people at this point, have pretty much approached me saying they have ideas for TV or film. But when people find out I've written a book, they are, they're like self-conscious suddenly. It's like I've done this incredible, impossible thing. When in reality, the writing of the book I think was a lot easier than writing the <laughs> screenplays. Oh, I can only imagine. So but it's just so interesting to me. You know? And the real issue with the AI thing is that there's really only forty stories out there. At any given time. Yeah. They're okay. and, and they're formulaic. And it's not hard to to plug and play these things. It will happen. It will. It's only yeah. a matter of time. It's yeah. unfortunate. I hate it. It's very upsetting to me. Right. Yeah. But there's only certain topics that it can write on. It can't create new experiences, right? A lot no. of all my writing essentially is from my own experiences, and so it can't. I'm not at threat for that. But what I am at threat is for an abundance of saturation of people writing shitty novels and shitty screenplays, and how you filter <laughs> through the shit essentially to find the good stuff, right? Yeah. But no, like they've already replicated people's voices, you know, they're going, they're going to replicate full actors. They're going to, I I truly believe the future of AI is not creating new stories. Mm -hmm. I think the real use of it will be expanding stories. People already love, Mm -hmm. right? Doing an additional Harry Potter film with them looking a certain age. Or more episodes of Seinfeld. Or more episodes of Friends. That's where I see that going. Because if you look at soap operas, they've been going for 20, 30 years. Oh my god. Susan Lucey's been on TV for I don't know how long. People are going... People want that. Fan fiction. The people railing against the AI Mm -hmm. guidelines the most right now. Do you know who they are? No. Fan fiction writers. Really? Oh yeah.
0: Interesting. They
1: want to write... More episodes of their characters, their beloved characters. Do you know how many people would watch more Seinfeld episodes? I would not be one of them. But... Oh, I would. Well, I you would. probably so love the show. Going. I mean, I
0: love Jerry Seinfeld. Don't get me
1: wrong. Great. Community, but like more but, Parks but... and Rec, more Friends. You know more. You know how I... I met your mother. Well, I, you really well, that, I, well, yeah. But what I think a lot. What a, a, a gaff! Biggest gaff in television history. <laughs>
0: Well, I listen. I watched Sex and the City, and obviously, just like that, is coming back on, and it's the same story that's been going on for guys since the late late nineties into two thousands. And like, I still get nostalgia when I watch it, and yeah, it's still being produced and it's like going on. Is it great?
1: They don't look the same. They don't. I'm talking about like.
0: But I would want to see them the same. I see. For um, me, I would want to see my characters grow and change. Like, I don't want to see them.
1: But what a as world! A what a world! Be so weird that would be. For us to age, and for the characters we love to stay the same, uh, and it almost comes a uh, form of animation, but it's uh, you
0: know, like Family Guy. Yeah, that level my animation. You know, family
1: stuff like Guy, that. South but Park. Not know. like real
0: life. I don't know. Listen, I might say that now and then turn around. I should watch some more episodes of Friends and be like, okay, it's fine. So, I don't know.
1: people, you know the the beauty of television. It's funny because Quentin Tarantino said when he was a kid he loved hangout films right like the westerns you like hung out with the characters yeah but television is the hangout genre a good tv show when you watch it you watch it because you feel comfortable around the characters yeah right they're familiar to you 100 you know people put the office on because it, it brings on almost like a nostalgia and nostalgia yeah. releases dopamine and it gives you this like feel good Kind of sensation.
0: I agree with you. Right? I just re-
1: started rewatching watching L
0: Word, and you know, obviously, was just like early, like late 90s, 2000s. And like going back, watching, like at like LA back in those days, even when we watch Entourage, you're like, wow. Hey, I watch
1: Entourage.
0: It's like you can't get away like, any of the
1: shit that you would get away with that show today. Like, I disagree with that.
0: You think you could get away yeah. with the shit they did in Entourage today? what they really do?
1: That was so bad. I
0: don't think they did anything bad. I think it's just, it was. I think it was a... I've seen time. that show like
1: seven times because I'm trying to figure out why it was so... I think that show is the closest thing ever conceived for men to Infinite Jest. Not the book, but the concept of... Oh, yeah. Do you of know course. what that is? No, it's
0: funny. So it's there's funny.
1: a book written by this guy, David Foster Wallace. Okay. And originally it was titled The Entertainment. and became Infinite Jest. Infinite Jest was the title of a movie. Mm -hmm. Right? And the movie in the book was so entertaining, that when you started watching it, you couldn't stop. And eventually you would die. Because you couldn't stop because it made you feel so good and had all these emotions that you Mm -hmm. would just die. And there have been moments where I've watched one episode of Entourage. And suddenly I've watched two seasons of, of, it's just like, what? Like, how did that happen? It connects. It's Damn. fascinating to me because yeah. it is such a low-stakes show. Oh, and yet right. And yet it, it's, almost, it's almost like an emulator. I don't even know if I would call it a television show. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about like wish fulfillment. But it's not – it gives you this view into this idea of a world. We don't really know if it's true or not, but as the audience we want it to be true you so desperately it to, right. because it's so it looks so appealing. Yeah. As a man. It's like you're hanging with your friends all day. There's yeah, hot girls everywhere. Yeah. You're making a movie. The movie's off. Oh, the movie's back on. Yeah. We almost lost Marlon Brando's house. It's fine. We figured <laughs> it out. Like yeah. it's just so addictive to watch. I think Sex in the City is very close to that for women. I can't really understand it to that and extent. And gay men. And gay men, okay. Why is that? Because it, it speaks, well, okay, I'll speak to Sex and
0: City to the point of, it's really the city that makes it. And SJP has said that. It's, it's, if this show took place anywhere else in the world, I don't think it'd be as successful. And I feel like New York City is a perfect backdrop for the show. Because it's the restaurant you go to, it's the place to hang out. It is the stories you walk through. It's the streets that you see them on. It's the fashion. It, it's like, it is, yes, it's a version of New York City, kind of how Friends was, even though Friends was like a fictional, like, oh yeah, they bought this nice house in the village. None of them could have fucking afforded so, Their fucking job, the, like, the, the unemployed yeah, like, actor. Yeah, I'm like, is this, living in this, the, the West like, Village. That's yeah. not happening. But this was a level of like reality, in this, as, and I want to say it's like you can really relate to and also like dating and for a gay man or for a woman it's like yeah that's what it was like and that's mm-hmm. kind of how it still is to this day with some men so i think but new york city plays such a crucial part in that show kind of how like la is a crucial part of entourage i believe because it is, it is yeah. part of like you said that kind of allure which you think of actress i mean let's it was based off of mark warper's life not that i maybe he did live like life. i don't know really you know but i think it was a version of that and it was like that setting in place made it what it is. And it's the same yeah. you can say for Seinfeld. You know, any Seinfeld of the shows. wasn't I mean I don't know. I know New, New York New so. York
1: it's not New York specific. Seinfeld resonates because Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld yeah. would encourage the writers to draw from real life experiences. So anything um, that happened to show is based
0: on like people's experiences. Yeah, because
1: I mean we connect to things it's a, it's like Purple Cow theory, right? Which Postulates the idea that if you are driving through the countryside and you see a bunch of cows, you're not going to get out of your car. But if you see Probably a purple not. cow, you're going to get out of your car and look at this thing. But in
0: this age, you just take a picture of it, and put it on Instagram, the
1: and then it's trivial. It's not. It's not important. <laughs> what I'm saying is, saying. the idea of the theory is stating that you won't stop for something you know and have seen,
0: but mm. you will stop
1: for something that you've seen, but is different in a way that is not disorienting, but intriguing.
0: Hmm.
1: Right. And so we relate to people. Yes. Right. That's the, our whole existence is relating to other people, of course. whether or not introverts want to admit this or not. Okay. But <laughs> we, we can only exist with each other. That's just what it is. Right. If we lock someone in a box for 20 years and never met anyone else, they would have no personality. We derive our personality from other people, right? That's mm. a whole other psychological theory, which is called uh, looking glass theory. Mm. But what I'm trying to say with Seinfeld is that a big reason it was so successful was because people related to the situations and mm-hmm. the characters. The whole thing where George is going off about why do I have to buy a bottle of wine to go to a dinner party? I'm just going to the dinner party. And Elaine's like, well, it's good manners. It's the right thing to do, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. It's just this bullshit thing that society come up with right. that will shame you if you don't, don't do yeah. it. And so now yeah. we're trapped, right? <laughs> we have to bring a bottle of wine or some bullshit, right? Or and now people look at you different
0: you. and they're like, oh, you didn't bring stuff, so now you're an awful human being. It's yeah. like, wait,
1: what? And people relate to that because people have also had those thoughts. Now, that's the other thing is that we all have radically different experiences, but we aren't so much different as people. We also think very similar things, and this is something I discovered from my book. Mm-hmm. Now, do I shift into the book?
0: Yeah, let's 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 do that. Um, well, we got to let people know who you are. So, give me a brief synopsis of your beginnings and kind of your upbringing, or kind of what led you to where you are right now in your novel and your trajectory you know I like a, oh you want me to just yeah, like a, like a, a log like a little, line for my life yeah it's like a log line just like uh, i am david matthew freeman
1: i grew up i was very athletic mm-hmm. i became a nationally ranked track star amazing and was you know sought out by every ivy league university pretty much wow um, then my jumps coach accidentally broke both my ankles on an inversion machine. Cool. This was after, This is a year after my lung had collapsed twice, Jesus. and after that happened in eleventh grade, I was able to still play second overall in long jump mm-hmm. for the state uh, with a jump of twenty three feet two and a half inches. Wow! But you know, then I was training all summer. My ankles essentially got broken. Um, I was only able. I had to switch my feet. Because one of them was was too damaged to jump off. It was a whole thing, wow. and I I missed being an all American, which was my goal since I was like in seventh grade, by a foul, which is when you step over the line on long jump, mm-hmm. and it was like really close. Wow. Like there was some my my coach was arguing from the stands. And I didn't foul, and it's a whole thing. Had I hit that jump, I would have won national or the, the nationals in the arm because there's two nationals. Okay, and um. You know, after that happened, I was an absolute wreck. I had trained really hard and kind of slacked off a little bit. I mm-hmm. kind of got a little full of myself and I ended up blowing a full ride to like my dream school. Wow. And it's something I still deal with. But what came of that was my insistence on not relying on my body because I felt that my body let me down right my lung collapsed twice for no reason mm-hmm. right and my ankles were deemed medically broken you know because of stress fractures that had not gone untreated that i didn't even know about right right and so i wanted to invest more in my mind and so i started getting really into film and story because i've always loved story I've always, like story to me is the most important thing it has the ability of changing how we think Mm -hmm. more so than anything else in our world a good story can completely shift your your attitude um towards something and so i just started writing i had always been a good writer but i wanted to write differently than like essay form and i would get in a lot of trouble and a lot of arguments with my teachers english teachers in school Mm -hmm. um you know, had a whole theory on the fall of the house of usher being Penn's first, uh, being posed first instance of unreliable narrator. And I wrote this theory out. It was like eight pages. I think I was in 10th grade and I was so excited because I thought I had discovered something new, right? And I took all the hours to write this and to go through the story and pick it apart. And I gave it to my English teacher. And she said, "I don't have time for this, David." And <laughs> threw it out in front of me. What? Yeah, she threw it in the trash in front of me. And that's when I just she didn't like wait till like no, you left the room and be like, no. okay, whatever. And that's when I just gave up on school essentially, right? And that's kind of what oh. fueled. That's why I kind of get. I kind of was like, "Who gives a fuck about this Ivy League school that's going to pay me forty-five thousand dollars a year to go there?" And then additionally, because can I can you say what school is it is? I don't want to say what school is, but they're super shady because there's no sports scholarships with the Ivies. So it's all under financial aid. And then they're going to pay me an additional, they're going to pay me $10,000 a semester just to attend the school. Jeez. Yeah. So it's very shady. It was brown, wasn't it? I'm not going to say. It was definitely brown. Go on. Might have been, might have been <laughs> Cornell. Uh-uh. Cornell's, Cornell is by far the shadiest. <laughs> um, but... It's going to be
0: like shattering from like your... Hey, I mean, you're like in temp grace. You're what sixteen, seventeen. You're young. You're young. You're like you have you had a chance to really have this ambition of like telling a story, and and wow, that's
1: that's pretty sure. Well, my ambition at that point in my life, um, I was like severely depressed. My parents were. That relationship was just very taxing on me. Mm -hmm. I played a lot of uh, role playing video games online, like World of Warcraft, because it it was just an escape for me. Yeah. Um, but all I really cared about was track. That's like kind of what kept me in school. I didn't really want to go to college. Yeah. I was just like not interested in learning the surface level stuff. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go really deep into a topic. Right. And when I got to school, um, I just got really into film. I, I'd always loved film. It had always been something that my family had watched together. We'd always watch a lot of movies and I just watched so many movies growing up, especially some of the same movies, and so I, I understood some of the the structure and and why things were done a certain way. Arc builds up, you know, the falling out of the friends, the redemption, you know, enemies to friends. You can almost like
0: predict or like
1: look at a film, but like you kind of know where it's going, or kind of
0: yeah, know, you know, journey. It's but, like, funny because
1: it sir, I forget who said this. I think it was um, it was one of the screenwriting books, but they said. Uh, when an audience is in dark together, in a dark theater together, their collective IQ jumps 30 points. Oh. You know, because when, when you watch a lot, it's easy sometimes to predict where a story's going. Sure. But for me, I mean, the whole idea of writing came from the idea that I didn't want to rely on my body. I was scared to rely on my body because I had trained for seven years wow. to just lose it all. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's hard. You know, not only that, it's just. The mental aspect is upsetting, but it was a large part of my personality and something that kept me really grounded, which mm. was training, you know, and knowing that when you put in hard work, you get results. True. And a big problem that I've, I've had with writing is that it doesn't really work like that. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can put in hard work. You might get, you know, you're going to become probably a better writer if you're doing the correct sure. work. of course. But that doesn't mean you're going to find financial success.
0: Oh, no, no, so, no, no, no. no
1: it's been a little rough for me because of that but from all this stuff i just really started writing a lot mm-hmm. and i had written a novel i'd kind of given up on screenwriting because it's just there's too much red tape right? yeah. you're asking investors to give you millions of dollars for a singular deliverable
0: mm-hmm.
1: to a person that really doesn't know what they're doing taking a massive gamble right in an era where the box office isn't big and if you're making a tv show there's no advertising revenue. right so it's it's really a ridiculous gamble and so it's very uh, hard to get these things off the ground of course without a track record or you, know, you have to get very lucky right um and so i wanted to do something i can control which was writing a book okay right? anyone can write a book yeah so i wrote a book called this is now i had a first draft mm-hmm. and um I was trying to edit it on the train because I started commuting from Long Island to the city and I just didn't have the space to edit the manuscript. Mm-hmm. And then when I was coming, when I was finally home, I was so tired that yeah. I just could not think. And it was just driving me nuts. How and... it is right now in traffic in the city.
0: <laughs> yeah. Welcome to New York, people. This is my fucking life. That's good.
1: It's good. good ambience. Yeah. But I started writing poems on the train about what I was seeing. Because I just wanted—I was, I was at that point where I just wanted to create something.
0: Yeah.
1: And I felt like my, I was wasting my life on this train. You know, <laughs> all my friends lived in the city. They were having fun. Now, for and, people who don't know New York City, what train are you talking about? Talking there's... about the Long Island Railroad. Oh. The worst rail <laughs> the in the entire <laughs> fucking country. <laughs> it is just an embarrassment <laughs> to railroads. Because I love trains. You're a train guy. I'm a train guy through nice. and through. Okay. So my best writing has been on trains. Okay, but the Long Island Railroad is not a train. It's an abomination. <laughs> like, what is it? Please? It's an abomination. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's. Just, I think like you're not alone in that aspect. I think a everyone lot of it, fucking like hates the Long Island Railroad. So mm. I wrote this book about a commuter. Right. The real the book is really about the idea of New York. Mm. It's All about right. what we think of New York when we don't live there and it's through the, the eyes of an outsider. And what I realize is that there's three different kinds of people in New York. There's tourists mm-hmm. that come in, they stay for a bit. There's residents who have been there and then there's this weird hybrid. And that is called the commuter. The commuter only comes into the city to leave the city. They're That's not, pretty much in the tri-state area. Pretty yeah, much. but they're so not, they're cool. not an adventurer. You're not a traveler there's no the destination is exactly where they started from it's mm-hmm. a very strange thing to commute that long right? i was commuting four to five hours a day Jeez. door to door it was four to five hours a day and that's your
0: fucking day
1: well i thought i was well it's your entire day yeah it's your entire day and it's just it's so difficult because you, you can't explain it to someone
0: Mm-mm.
1: right when someone comes okay. home and they don't want to talk to their partner or I, at this point, I don't want to talk to my parents because of my parents
0: mm-hmm.
1: or like your friends are like, Hey man, where you been? You're just so exhausted because anyone who's traveled knows travel is exhausting. Doing that every day, five days a week yeah, I don't for know. two I, years I, I don't, yeah. is insanity. I did it for a short time and I was like, I don't know
0: how my friends do this shit for work every day.
1: It's horrible. Yeah. And it's not, you know, especially when we have the technology to work from home, right? The work from home thing only came about because of COVID. Before that, you had to go into the office. You were yeah, crazy true. if you asked to stay home. Yeah. And so, is not you
0: think that's like also a problem or like, it maybe, maybe it's an American culture thing or I think that we don't have a good balance when it comes to like, you know, the countries like, they have a good balance of vacations and and trying to not have people work so hard. Right? I feel like in America, it's like, or at least maybe in New York, at least like work, work, work. And at eight, probably don't leave till eight o'clock, you know what I mean? Like, and do it all over again.
1: It comes down to the law. Mm. It's the fault of the government. Mm. It's no one else's fault. The government government has allowed corporations to take advantage of workers. There's no workers' rights in America. The reason this doesn't happen in Europe isn't because corporations are... Nicer there, or more thoughtful. It may seem that way, yeah. yeah. No, it's because they're not allowed to. There's regulations and laws in place that protect the workers because the governments care about their people. The U.S. government does not care about us. If they did, they would make laws and regulations to prevent this kind of crap. They yeah. would make sure we get 45 bank holidays or whatever number it is in, in England. Cuz they have so many holidays. Right. Yeah. And so like they're so much happier there. So much like less stressed. Yeah. But this is not England. This is a capitalistic society. Mm. And while there is great opportunity here, I'm not going to say there isn't. There is. You can really do a lot of great stuff here. Yeah. It's at the cost of quite a bit at the cost of your sanity at the cost of a lot of your relationships at the cost of uh you know sometimes your life if you're working so hard you know and it's just it's frustrating because yeah it's easy to point the finger at companies but companies exist to make money That's why they it's why they exist we're in a capitalistic society that's their goal they want to make money and they're going to exploit and play the game best they can, right? That's all they're going to do. It's not that complicated. Yeah. But if you change the rules of the game, they have to play by it. Yeah. And so it's just – it's frustrating because no one wants to hold the politicians accountable. They're the reason God, for no our misery. No, no one does. I don't and know. it's like – it's not like this is a left or right issue. Both
0: sides agree. This is bullshit. <laughs> all the time. It's crazy. I was thinking about that when I, you know, had a chance to read your book and I was like, you know, I was trying to think of it because I I commuted a little bit and this is when I grew up in California, I used to have to commute from San Francisco to Antioch, which Mm. if you're driving, which might be the same here, was probably about, about a good 45 minutes to an hour, 30 minutes in traffic back and forth on an eight hour day. Yeah. And, and, that, and then we finally, we actually never got barred out there. They do now. So we am ready to go barred. But we didn't have efficient public transportation because in California, you drive everywhere. Yeah. So if you don't have a car, that's
1: It's all it, cities. In you you know, all know, cities yeah. in the US, except for maybe
0: Chicago. It's so New crazy. York, you it's have like, yeah. So it's like you spent a good chunk of your time in your vehicle and you're in traffic. And then I thought about it when I was reading it, I was like, wow, I could think back to times when I was like, Sitting on this road, sitting in traffic, going through the tunnel, going to San Francisco. And think about what you were saying, being a transit, because it's like the Bay Area is kind of like a smaller version of New York. It's like San Francisco is the main hub, but then people live in the suburbs and you go back and forth. You really do stuff there, but do you really go to San Francisco to do anything? Unless you live there, you're probably not doing anything there. So it was very kind of refreshing a way to kind of read that and be like, wow, this is something that could be, you know, kind of transcribed. Throughout any person's level of commute, like you use the example of Long Island Railroad, but then like it's something anyone can relate to.
1: Well, it's crazy because I gave it to someone in England. Oh, really? Online, yeah. yeah. And they were like, this is my commute on the tube. Wow. That's and so really this, cool. this goes back to like, we don't, we might be different. We might have different perspectives on life, yeah. different experiences, but we do think similarly because one of the big things that always drove me nuts when I got to Penn Station was that as soon as you got the Penn Station, you went into what I call the Great Hall, which is that really long, disgusting hall in oh, Penn Station oh, yeah, that smells yeah, like piss and just, just despair. Lawful. There's it get, is getting better though. It is getting better. I, I hate to say that, but it's getting better. It is good. But better. you get to the point where you want to go on the to Seventh Ave and Thirty Fourth Street, mm-hmm. and there's two elevators, and fifty percent of the time, I'm sorry, escalators. Fifty percent of the time, only one escalator is working.
0: Oh my God, is it the most
1: annoying thing in is New York the City? Fucking you're like, worse. you're like, and I'm like. And it just yeah. became like a running joke in the book that I would just casually <laughs> Maybe mention. Maybe you talking about that. Casually I like, wow, mention. Yeah. And there's only one escalator working today. <laughs> it's just like, because that's how you're Your feeling. Your day
0: already is Yeah, you're, you're already
1: like, fucked from the escalator. And this shit, I don't even care. And, but it's funny because there's so many people that read this book and told me, I think like that. I've had those thoughts. Oh my God, I do all the time. I thought that was really interesting because it's not something that I was cognizant of i didn't mm-hmm. write that thinking like oh other people are going to relate to this like i wrote this because this was just my experiences and i want people to understand the experience of the commuter yeah right i want yeah. people to say i don't want to talk to you tonight honey and she'd be like well why why not why do you want to talk and cuddle and i wanted him to like give his wife this book be like this is why <laughs> read this fucking book and you'll it's know to be telling you all the shit that happened. to me coming back home today but that's the thing the book, I, yeah. there was no way for me to describe or explain the commuter experience Mm -hmm. and so i put it into a way that you can experience being a commuter even if you're not going to set on like set foot onto the train and so that was my goal for the project i think i've definitely accomplished that people really seem to like it again it's written in an experimental format it's written in verse Mm -hmm. with footnotes yeah um it's very funny at times it's very depressing other times there's you know there's a certain page spree of just repetition where it feels like it's like kind of the same thing going over and over again all that stuff's intentional i really tried to build out the experience best i could yeah um while keeping everyone's attention because the first few drafts people would stop at like the same page i was realizing Mm. and i I took all that data and i analyzed and i was like that's interesting right they're not getting past this this part and you know the goal of any story is to finish it right you got to finish the story I don't, I don't care if people like it or not it's great if they do but that's not really the point the point is to get through the full story yeah. that's where we're at right you're gonna finish the book you're gonna finish the movie you're gonna finish the album um and so everyone i think it's like a 95 percent success rate in finishing it which i think is phenomenal i mean i, I'm I mean like that's over the mood
0: about that i mean that deserves a round of applause because like a lot of times you will st- you, like you said you probably read a book or read a story where the case is and may not finish it and may yeah. get halfway through it i mean you do this with tv shows too i've watched this one show and i was like loved it in the beginning and in the last three episodes i was like i can't really bear getting through this but yeah. it was like but then i said uh, maybe i owe it to myself to be like i need to see this character story arc out because for me when i read something i'm all about the character i'm all about this character arc and i'm all about like where's the character go yeah. and what's their story because you know i think i've told you for before one one of the worst, listen, it's not one of the worst movies, one of the highest, greatest movies, but Gone with the Wind. The issue I always have with that movie and that story was that Scarlet is literally, I feel, the same character from beginning to end. Yeah, she, does not, she doesn't change. Yeah. She has no evolving arc. She has nothing that even makes her remotely interested to the level of being like, you're just the same person from beginning to end. And I, and I never liked stories like that. And, and it's still one of the greatest movies of all time. Maybe for other reasons, too. But it's like, why? I'd rather see a character either lose something, go through something, learn something, uh, just anything to make them feel yeah feel more connected. Because in a way, that level of, of being authentic and that makes it more, I guess, relatable to me in a way. And it's like, wow, I could see this. I could see myself on the same problems. And like, now I can relate to that story a lot more and i think obviously since then storytelling's got better than that but i think it really does come with character but not that it needs to always be about character it can be about setting like we mentioned earlier it could be about the setting maybe the setting yeah. is what needs to change and, maybe just that's the, the, thing feeling. and the feeling of yeah. being in that sense of that and understanding that you know so i think a roman holiday not the greatest movie in the world but i like because it, it takes place in Rome.
1: yeah <laughs> you know i i feel like that about midnight in paris oh you know like, i one. love watching that movie yeah when That's it's true. raining out, because it's just like, again, like it transports you. That's the whole point of the movie is to transport exactly. you, right? Exactly. And I think a big thing for my book was that it's not super enjoyable to read. No. It's it's almost like kind of like a documentary. It's kind of like a doc in a lot of ways. The docs are in now. Docs have always been in, but they're super popular yeah. It's like you're learning a little bit about what it's like, mm-hmm. but it's not super enjoyable. Like the other books I'm writing are more tailored to be enjoyable and fun. Okay. Can you talk about some of the things you are working on or anything you? Yeah, yeah. So I have uh, well? so the book that book is part of a seven book series. Okay. Um, the first book is called "Don't Forget the Scream." It stars Wave Watson mm-hmm. with a guest appearance by Ace Tiernas and a cameo by Preston Rothschild IV.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The second book in the series is a book of poetry written by one of the characters in the first book, which oh, is wow. Preston Rothschild IV. So that is fully done.
0: Okay.
1: It is awesome. um, illustrated. So every poem is illustrated in the book. Nice. And it's called Deep and Original Thoughts. The yeah. third book, it will star Ace Tiernos living in the East Village above a nightclub. Um, and what happens is he loses his job because he can't sleep because of the nightclub. And he decides he's going to kill the owner of the nightclub Ooh, because whoa. it's take he's taken everything from him at this oh, point. Shit. The, and then the, was that? Was there like the fourth book is a new book of poems by Preston, the fourth called Deeper and More Original Thoughts. The first book was called Deep and Original Thoughts. The Ooh. sequel to Deep and Original Thoughts is Deeper and More Original Thoughts. Oh, okay. okay. Um, which is also done but not illustrated. Okay. And then the fifth book is, uh, I don't want to give it away, but Ace Tiernas becomes a male nanny for Turkish oligarchs mm. and goes to Turkey and has to take care of children, wow. um, which is interesting because he's sort of a partier who loves cocaine and chaos. So it's quite funny to watch him take care of kids.
0: Yeah, that's going to be interesting.
1: The sixth book is the final installation of poems by Preston. called The Deepest and Most Original Thoughts. I just want to say all these... The the deep and original books are satire, woke poetry. Oh, So if you love Rupi Carr or Young Pueblo, Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to hate these books. (laughs) Or like them, I don't know. know. Some people don't realize that it's satire and and really love it. The last book is called Brutal Semicolon New York, and that Mm. has all of the characters of... The books that just came before it mm-hmm. in New York. And it shifts around through all the different characters' perspectives, and they end up running into each other and meeting each other. And they've been meeting and kind of intersecting this whole entire time. Um, That's, but I mean, now, that sounds uh, like a good, you got a good solid plan. Um, yeah, no, it's good. It's good. And then I'm also working on a different series called Three Weddings. And that was when. Uh, no, can I
0: ask real quickly? Are yeah. you going to be like our friend over um, over George or Martin like start and then like the last two? You're just going to just like forget about it. Oh, no, I'm not a piece, her, of like... uh, <laughs> I'm not piece of shit. I knew you were saying that. I knew you were saying that. You got to finish <laughs> where you start. Just yeah. say You know, you get like to book six or seven, you're like. No, George or
1: Martin. <laughs> I'm going to take my time. Is... <laughs> just do you're a piece of shit, George. <laughs> I'm sorry. I you seem like them. a lovely person, but as an artist, you're a piece of shit. Mm. You just can't. It's just so wrong <laughs> because so many. People because you were all... a Game of Thrones fan, right? Were you a big fan? Are <sighs> you kind of okay fan? I liked it, mm-hmm. but I liked favorite? it. I liked it up until like the fifth season. Yeah, because what what made Game of Thrones sexy was the suspense. Mm-hmm. Right, it's the same reason. I thought it
0: was the unknown because after they killed Ned Stark, the first. Well, that's what it is. It's the same thing. Yeah. Suspense. Oh, you right? call it sexy. Okay. Yeah, no, no, suspense. Suspense. Oh, because I mean, you don't sexy. know.
1: You said <laughs> I said sexy? Yeah, I was like because I'm not not sexy. It, but yeah. yeah, I'm like I'm not not because of here, the prothesis. Okay, okay. All right. No, the um I enjoy not knowing who's on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. That's what makes for exciting storytelling. Oh, 100%. When no one's detected. Yeah. No one. Yeah. But when you got to the later seasons, um, Game of Thrones fell into the same spell that Marvel has been trapped under for decades now, mm. which is that if you kill a character that everyone loves, you lose money, <laughs> you lose <laughs> alternative streams right. of revenue.
0: Well, I, I kind of agree with you.
1: Because with you. you know, if you kill Iron Man, then you can't make Iron Man figurine. Also, this thing the called,
0: there's also thing called
1: the multiverse, and he exists it's in just, different versions. Whatever. It's just dumb. We're not going to go down that, that route. Right? Yeah, okay. Because the problem with both Marvel and what happened in the later seasons of Game of Thrones okay. is that you know these people have this force field around them, that the characters aren't going to die. Right? Sure. What made The Sopranos great was that this never happened. You never knew who is going to die. Very true. And it's very, very important to storytelling. Right. The purpose of the story is not, you can't know where it's going or it defeats the purpose. Right. Right. It's like, oh, was it Fran Lieberwitz, who I, I really greatly dislike. Um, <laughs> and I just think is to be perfectly honest, an absolute coward, but oh, Yeah. She, well, her whole thing is like, oh, I wrote two books, and now I have writer's block. I, I just, it's so hard for me to write. I'm, <laughs> I've had writer's block for 60 years. It's like, you don't have writer's block. You just read so much that mm. you've paralyzed yourself into the ability of publishing. Wow. You're too scared to put yourself out there because you don't think you're good enough because you've read so much that you've mm-hmm. convinced yourself you're not worthy to be around other, other writers, which is just, wow. I'm sorry, pathetic. It's just pathetic. Just put your shit out there. It's good or it's not. But that's that not true? that's not part of the art game, is hoarding manuscripts in a vault, friend. You get a grip. Yeah. But she was saying, telling to the effect to Spike Lee that you don't rewatch sports games because you know the result. You know the outcome. And Spike Lee, who I also am not a big fan of, um, had an interesting oh. comeback. And he said, you know, I, I still watch games by Michael Jordan to try and figure out how he's doing what he's doing and that is valid right when yeah. someone's really playing well you want to study them you want to understand it, the, the score and the final ending is irrelevant right it's it's less right. about the game it's more about the player and their ability and their style and how they're able to you know beat the opponent's mind how are you able to you know get around them yeah. which art really doesn't It's different right because artists are always living in the past but but athletes have to be very much in the present or they're not going to it's true right they're not going to prosper they're not going to be successful so i just i found that really interesting because yeah you might not go back and watch sports games for the suspense but you do go back to watch it for oh yeah it's just the athleticism it's that's the point you want to go for right but it's you know you can't really make that same point with marvel or with game of thrones like you're not going back because that's not it's scripted yeah right it's already written down like you might go back because some scenes are really great or they say oh how how they do this how they do that right there's a movie called the invitation that i love and that mm, I think I heard of that one. Yeah, that movie's phenomenal. Mm. And what's phenomenal about it is it makes the audience feel like they're crazy.
0: <laughs> that's the right? takeaway from Because
1: you, you aren't sure. Is the guy crazy? Is he not crazy? And the way that they do that is like a master class of like, psychological writing. Wow. And I went, I went in. I broke down the entire film. You Literally, broke it down? The entire thing. Down. It took me nine hours. I broke it down. Jesus. Line by line, interaction by interaction. Yeah to try and figure out what the writers did mm-hmm. to get this result. Sure. And what they did essentially was a very simple formula of two rights, one wrong, or three rights, one wrong, mm-hmm. where like they give the main character a win and that's countered by three people doing things that prove that he's wrong or incorrect in his thinking. Yeah. And so what it happens is you start to believe that, oh, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. Right. But it's a brilliant tactic. Right. And they, they, you know, they kind of like invalidate him in certain ways. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. Other characters around will invalidate him as well. His own girlfriend kind of calls him out on something. Jesus. And all these things kind of create this atmosphere of like, Oh, of doubt. You're doubting the protagonist. Right. Right. That is the instance of the Michael Jordan, You know, how do you score X amount of points in this game? How is he so on fire? Right. Because that writing is so intricate. How'd they do this? I need to watch that again. Right. And so it's like, yeah, sometimes you watch things again to understand the style. But I would say that's really only enthusiasts and other writers. Mm. Right. Like writers are going to want to watch that to see how they did that. Most people aren't going to want to watch a movie again to figure that out because they saw the movie, they liked the movie and that's it right so it's like but you know it comes down to the whole do you know the ending do you not know the ending what does that mean you know can we really enjoy a story knowing the ending how it ends you know there's a movie called john dies at the end that was written by the guy from uh i think cracked david wong Mm -hmm. and his whole thing it's like a very funny story because i saw him at sundance when he gave the speech i saw the premiere of this movie right actually before i had offered paul giamatti a joint on the waitlist line and paul giamatti said yes and everyone went nuts and then we got (laughs) outside and i realized i didn't have a joint on me because i was in fucking utah you fucking lied paul giamatti was really upset with me i still owe him a joint i'm still trying to find him to give him a joint but Paul, David, if you're listening... Yeah, Paul, please, I'm so sorry. I know I called your production company like 20 <laughs> times trying to find you for the joint. Um, but it was interesting because the guy, David Wong, was pretty much saying that he was writing a story that had to keep people's attention because of there's free porn. <laughs> like, what? This is his whole thing. This guy's so nutty. Oh. So the whole thing was published, serialized, online. Okay. And he was like, all someone has to do is press... Control T and type porn and suddenly it's free porn. Like what is going to keep people on this website reading this page? Dude, I have to keep sucks. them on their toes because I'm competing with free porn. <laughs> and it's very funny, but he's, I get what he's saying. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting analogy. Yeah. And so he created a, I mean, it's a masterful work of art in my opinion where Mm -hmm. you really have no idea what's going to happen because he's constantly keeping on your toes because he's afraid of free porn (laughs)
0: i'm afraid of free porn you know but that's why it's
1: called john dies at the end that's very interesting it's interesting i'm a big fan highly recommend that one the movie's very good it's flew under the radar unfortunately okay well that's
0: um, really awesome thank you for sharing that Sorry, that was a Freeman. long, was a long-winded. That was a long-winded answer, but yeah. you know, you are a storyteller, is what you do. I can't. That's a poorly, that. a poorly
1: told story. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I arced. I don't <laughs> think I arced in that. So it's ideally, like <laughs> We uh, we
0: talked about your upcoming books. Now, can you give an idea to your audience, like when the next book might be released, or anything like that, and any book tours you have coming up, anyone can kind of see you. Or um, I have a signing know?
1: coming up. In uh, Williamsburg very soon. Okay. Um, I can post about that on my Instagram. Cool. That'll be... At, what um, is your Instagram? Uh, Day of Proclaimed. Day of Proclaimed. Okay. So, yeah, I have that coming up. The new book should be done... I have all the edits. It's, I'm just sitting on them. It should be done within like a week or two and then probably published within the month. Okay. So like um, late
0: summer, you're thinking
1: for the summer. I think so, yeah. I'm gonna have t shirts and tote bags and Ooh. some coasters made up for them. Okay. So a lot of the all the poems in that book are very short mm-hmm. and there's also illustrations. So and they're they're a lot of fun too. They're fun, but they're also they're hitting on something a little deeper. Right. So like you right. might be laughing and then realize like, wait a
0: second. <laughs> like why why am I laughing? What's going on?
1: Not like why you laughing, but like what am I laughing at? It's... I mean,
0: why, who, what? It's still laughing. Yeah. Any way you want to look at it is how you do it. It's true. Um well that's awesome. Well, um Thank you, yeah. we have one last game we like to play with some of our writers here, and it's called Storytime Antics. Now I just made this up, so I'm gonna use this as a guinea pig because I I've only tried it twice, and it only worked out one time for me. But I'm thinking because you're such a great storyteller, Mm. it might work better for you.
1: Okay.
0: Okay, so how I do Storytime Antics is we come up with a story, short story, not long. It has a plot, it has characters, and it has some sort of ending or cliffhanger. Mm. So I give you three random things, Mm -hmm. and you take those random things, and you take about a minute and think about a story and then you just kind of explain the story in the next like two or three
1: minutes. Okay, hit me. What you got? Okay.
0: So, for this Storytime Actics, I'm going to think of three things, which is really random. Um, I'm going to start off with a dog. Okay, dog. We're going to talk about a setting. So, we're going to talk about Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, Madrid, particularly. And then we're going to think of a, let's just say, a woman. Um, older woman. Those are your three things. You have a dog, a droid Spain, and an older woman. What kind of story can you tell with those three things? Hmm. He's thinking, people. He's, he's thinking very hard right now. I have faith in you, David Matthew Freeman. That sounds so weird to say your whole name.
1: name. It's, it's a good name. Well, it is, I know. You know, one of the I, writers of never... Game of Thrones was named David Friedman. <sighs> I know. And he changed his name. I never, it's the most I just common name never I name just never writers. call you that. It's
0: just
1: yeah. different. All right, so I, what I'm seeing is a woman living in Spain, mm-hmm. but she's not from Spain. Ooh. She is French.
0: Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. She had to move out of Paris to accommodate her then-fiancé. But two weeks in, she found out he was cheating with someone at the office. And so she kicked him out of the apartment but took his dog. (sighs) Took the dog. Took the dog. And so she's been having a lot of trouble making friends Mm -hmm. because as everyone knows, the people in Madrid are assholes. (laughs) And the people in Paris... are the sweetest kind of (laughs) cells and so she's just been spending a lot of time with the dog okay and believes the dog can understand her to a level that the fiance never could okay so she begins to believe that the best parts of the relationship are embedded in the dog and she goes out one night and make some friends mm-hmm. and they go drinking and she gets a little drunk and then she gets a little bit more drunk Mm-mm. and then she gets really drunk. Oh, shit. But she's happy. She's not harping on the failed relationship. She's not harping on the idea of missing France, missing Paris. Right. You know, She's finally letting go mm. of all these things.
0: Okay.
1: She gets home and falls asleep.
0: Hmm.
1: And when she wakes up, she finds blood all over the dog. (gasps) And the dog is dead. (gasps) And next to the dog is a shattered bottle of red wine. And she doesn't know what happened. She starts weeping. And she starts thinking of all of the incredible time she had with the dog but more so the incredible parts of the relationship right all those things have now died oh, shit. and as she's sitting on the floor she feels something on her face she looks up and it's the dog the dog wasn't dead he just got a little drunk from the wine <laughs> and he was covering wine so she thought it might have been
0: blood oh my god
1: and the dog's licking her face and as the dog's licking her face she's realizing that the pain from the relationship with each lick of the dog's tongue is being absolved. And so after a good cry mm-hmm. and the dog licking up the tears, she's able to look at the dog as not a reminder of the relationship, mm-hmm. but more so as a memento. And she takes the dog out for a walk and sits on a nice bench where she meets a very strapping chiseled young man with an enormous bulge named Alejandro of course and they share a moment and he asks what the dog's name is Mm -hmm. and she goes I have no idea she doesn't know her own dog's name it's not her dog it's her fiance's dog I'm gonna
0: give you a round of applause for that one because that was pretty interesting. Pretty well, yeah. you, you you pulled that one out. I have you was... on
1: the on the seat of well, the Well, yeah, because yeah, I'm just like wait, how'd you the ending you? might need some work. It was it was good. you, yeah. did, you did a good job. Thank
0: uh, you. Well, thank you again, David Matthew Freeman, for uh, coming by and talking with us. And uh, yeah. hopefully, we can have you again in the future on some other podcasts. And I'd be down. Yeah, talk about some random things of you know. I like to talk about relationships today. and.
1: Yeah, we big know. On, we, we big know. on
0: dating culture okay. and well, all
1: that stuff. That's lovely.
0: So, on that note, <laughs> we're gonna wrap up. And um, yeah, guys, look forward to the next podcast. Uh, take care, be safe, and uh, enjoy this wonderful summer that we're having
1: wherever you are in the world. This music again? Is it are the you same music? On my music. Is it the same music as the intro? Yes. Yeah, hemorrhoids come out. All right, all right.